I think I've created the professional interviewer um, term myself as well. Um, so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because whenever you used to say I was a freelance assessment and interview consultant, people just stared at you being like, what the hell does that mean? Welcome to Tech Talks, the podcast brought to you by Nash Squared and hosted by myself, David Savage, that's been bringing you the latest thinking from technology leaders for over eight years. Joining me today, we've got a quiche who's joining me from London whilst I am sat in our office in Franklin, Tennessee. How are you? I'm very well. I'm very well, thank you. Different times, but you know. Um... Absolutely. Your afternoon, my my evening. No, hang on. My your afternoon, my morning. What am I on about? Your morning. Your morning. Even though even though I was messaging you at about 3, 4 a.m. The the perils of jet lag. Yeah. How's, how's it going? How's the weather there? Is it is it nice? Oh, it's beautiful. Is it? Yeah. Like, yeah. it's beautiful in a British way. We had a very funny conversation mm. with Keegan, our colleague, who you are very familiar yeah. with, who told us yeah. that it was, okay, we're well, a bit chilly, you know, and it's like, no, no, this is, this is beautiful. This is perfect spring jacket summer kind of short sleeve shirt wearing weather oh clear blue skies clear blue skies a little bit fresh oh. warm in the sunshine yeah yeah like that. <laughs> this like is that. this is slightly kind of pornographic version of uh of british podcasting oh clear mm, blue crisp just... morning <laughs> Oh, some ASMR <laughs> this is. <laughs> anyway, look, this week we've got uh, a chat about talent, hiring, careers. Um, we're talking to two uh, leaders. We're talking to Michael from Equitas, and then we're talking to Meander. Um, and it's very significant because later this week I'll be doing even more of that in Las Vegas at Unleash America, which is HR and people tech. We'll hand over to our interview with Michael and we'll come back with some comments on it shortly. So I'm joined by Michael Blakely, a co-founder of Equitas, the interview intelligence software to ensure safer hiring. How are you today? I'm good. How are you getting on? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Co-founder, how many founders are there? There's just two of us, me and co-founder yep. George as well. When did we meet? Back in, I'd say, 2018 um, is whenever we were first kind of getting kicked off as well. Um, yeah, and just two. So, look, let's. I, I kind of gave a, a quick kind of byline for the business, but let's go into a bit of detail around who and what Equitas are and why in 2018 you felt that it was, that it was a, a platform that was needed. Amazing. So it is, like you said, an interview intelligence software platform. Um, to give you a bit of context on why we started up, David, I used to be a professional interviewer. I spent the last 10 years interviewing 10,000 plus people from all over the world, like UK, Ireland, further afield. It always used to be this super broken process. There was me sat in a room there taking notes, capturing interview data that way, with pen and paper. That was always being lost. And it's the most critical thing to your hiring decision is the, the accuracy and detail of, of, of what you're getting there and capture that interview data. The other side of it was hiring managers. I worked with some incredible hiring managers throughout my career. Some were super objective, able to make really accurate hiring decisions as well, which is amazing. Others that could be quite biased and pick people who are identical to them. A little bit of affinity bias coming in there as well. And so many different ones. If you kind of go off on the topic of talk, chatting about bias, there's like 175 plus different biases that can kind of come into the process. So really, really worrying thing. So the whole reason we got going was just, is there a way to do this better, fairer, and just cut out all the kind of waste that sits in and around your interview process as well. So a bit of my like domain expertise, solving my own pain point as well. 
and that's the whole whole reason we set the company up. But even what it stands for, Equitas, is justice, equity, and fairness um, as well. How did you become a professional interviewer? As someone who's an ex-recruiter, <laughs> you know, I'll be honest, I might so, describe myself as a professional interviewer to avoid the R word, uh, but it, it sounds like a niche. So I used to walk into rooms and say I'm a recruitment consultant, people would run in the other direction. So <laughs> I needed to work out a way of describing exactly what it was I, I did. So I was the same. So um, the first corporate that ever employed me was Aldi. And I used to be an area manager for them. Really great. Learned so much about leadership, managing teams. And like they doubled in size whenever I was there. I was working for Hull as a region, went from 50 to like 90 plus staff super quickly. And whenever I moved on from there and left, um, I decided, look, that's the piece of it I love. And I even started recruiting for Aldi and hiring people in there as well. But off the back of that, I started to find all these interesting kind of freelance contracts. So amazing companies like B Sky B, Transport for London, they didn't need help sourcing the candidates because they always had really sort of great attraction in place. So many candidates come through. They just didn't have the bandwidth for the hiring managers to actually sit down and do the interviews and do the assessments and that piece of it as well. So I tried, I think I've created the professional interviewer um, term myself as well. Um, so I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing, because whenever you used to say I was a freelance assessment and interview consultant, people just stared at you being like, what the hell does that mean? Uh, and they never they never really worked it out or never knew. If you say you're a professional interviewer, like, oh, he probably sits in a room and interviews a lot of people day in, day out. And once you kind of got that skill set and had a few qualifications, there was always a, a good amount of demand there. There was always people growing, hiring, like, hey, use being an RPO. There was always contracts coming via them where just companies needed to scale super quickly and they didn't have a big enough team or a team of people who were experienced or, or expert interviewers to help out the hiring managers um, on top of that. So long-winded way of, of describing what a professional interviewer was. <laughs> and look, Equitas exists in a, in a world where a lot of people are approaching this problem maybe not a lot, but a number of, of, of organisations are approaching this problem from various different angles. What do you think makes your take on this different or the way that, that can make a real difference to the organisations that you're working with? Oh, there's so many different angles <laughs> to answer in that as well. Like one thing I always touch on, um, David, is values-based hiring and say, look, it's a really nice model of hiring people. And for us as a company, like the key value that I can live without is the fact that we say we're inclusive by default. Everything that we try and design, we always ask ourselves the question, whether it's tech, whether it's process, um, is this going to be fair for interviewers, for candidates, for everyone who kind of touches the product as well? I'm not sure everyone always will approach it with that mindset. There is obviously a massive focus on efficiency and time saving. Yes, that comes into our product as well. And why interviews? For me, there was two reasons for that. So one, the number of interviews are just going to grow. So if you look at Gen Z, they were coming into the workforce. They're predicted to have more jobs throughout their lifetime than any other um, generation before them as well. So you know, one, two years on a CV is no longer seen as potentially a negative. You get the experience, you move on, you reapply it, use it somewhere else as well. And whenever that happens, you're going to have more and more interviews um, on top of that. Not a perfect process um, whenever it comes to interviews, but there's lots of recent research coming through as well that essentially suggests that it is the scientifically proven most accurate way to predict, be predictive of success. Um, and that was a meta-analysis where they looked at every kind of study. And even the percentage, it was still only low 40% um, for interviews. So it's hard because you could put people through a rigorous amount of different, you know, assessment centers, work samples, all these kind of take-home tests and like have a super incredible, robust process. But 
a lot of candidates don't have the time to do that. So for me, interviews are always going to exist because they are the fastest way to learn as much as you possibly can about someone as well. And it works both sides. And then you've got a lot of data and information to make a decision. And on the candidate side, you're not going through a nine stage process where it's a resilience test over an actual interview or getting to know someone. <laughs> it's interesting because the point that you make about kind of two or three years on a, on a CV is no longer seen as something necessarily um, prohibitive or even negative uh, to someone's career. And you would imagine in a world where people are that fluid that continuous uh, education is obviously um, increased importance and therefore also perhaps the ability for people to move up and down the ladder and social mobility is eased. And yet you've got research that says that the UK has one of the lowest rates of social mobility um, in its economic group. And the US social mobility has remained unchanged or declined since the, since the 70s. So, so what is it? What is it in the interview process? You've mentioned about some of the biases that you see, but what is it that's, that's blocking that movement and, and stopping people from getting opportunities in a fairer way? So you mentioned at the, the, the start where there's people who are taking lots of different approaches to try and solve this problem um, and get rid of bias whenever it comes to hiring. And all the tools that were kind of initially created um, would look at things like, hey, blind hiring, how do you remove bias from a, you know, let's say a CV by taking out name, identifying characteristics and everything like that as well. So there's a huge movement behind blind hiring. That's great. All of these tools were able to make sure a more diverse range of candidates were able to get the interview process. And then all of the providers in that kind of sifting and assessment space, whenever I chatted to them, it's like, hey, what happened from there? And they turn around and say, well, they ended up hiring people who were the same and really identical to them as well. And whenever we tried to dig deep and find out what happened, they could never get the data or anything that would come from that as well. So it is so fascinating. And it's maybe that part of it will be like hiring managers are super busy. So if there's time constraints and you're having to make quick decisions, you'll sometimes take shortcuts as well. Um, you're not always to spend the amount of time reviewing stuff and um, looking at how you should score people. Sometimes the structure's not even placed there as well. So whenever we first started thinking about Equitas and like how we're going to approach this problem, we thought, hey, maybe SMEs would be a great fit. They weren't because there was no structure there. They didn't want additional structure in their interview process or to spend that much time looking at it. Now, some are great and will do it themselves anyway, but others just kind of want to have a coffee chat over an interview and that that lack of structure is super dangerous um, if you want to kind of scale and grow from, because it won't work for forever. And I even know some startups who do network only and hire like family friends and like, hey, that'll work for your first, you know, 10, 15, 20 hours, but you're going to run out of family pretty quickly um, if you keep... Yeah, I mean, that's, like that's, that. that's, a really interesting, that's a really interesting point, right? Because, I mean, we talk to a lot of startup founders, um, uh, organizations going through growth. You know, they're not ready to use external help be it recruiters or or um you know going out to, to other sources of candidates and they are they are utilizing their own personal networks it must make it very challenging when they have to switch their style of hiring 12 or 18 months down the line especially if it's been successful to that point and that's the thing they begin to realize once they get to a certain point and scaling beyond that the retention won't be there. Um, there could be things that go missing as well if they don't have a diversity of opinion, thought. If there's not a range of people making those decisions as a business, they could go completely off a, a cliff edge without even realizing it um, as well. And hey, the people who they hire early on, they're probably people they know and trust and will go above and beyond for them. But there's nothing to stop new people who outside their network kind of coming into that as well um, on top of it. And like that's the hard bit is there's probably 
a lack of understanding sometimes and attraction and the amount of work it takes to get so many people to come in and apply and come through as well. But yeah, that's it doesn't scale. Like if they keep going network alone, they'll struggle to, to grow and hire and they'll just become stagnant at some point as well. And like there's some incredible research I always tell people about um, in terms of we're coming into another recession here as well. During the last big recession, there was a case study done by Deborah Pager who looked at the success of companies or the ones that failed as well based on their hiring practices. And she essentially found out that if you were really biased, hired from own network only or like did not focus on building a diverse team, you're twice as likely to fail as a company. So the ones who were really equitable, fair, structured process, 17% failure rate. The ones who are all own network, um, 34% plus as well. Is this, you know, your, your research, your your platform, is this applicable to um, blue collar jobs? Is it is it kind of white collar jobs where it, I assume it's kind of white collar uh, that style of environment where it, it it sits more easily, or is there this case of the new collar um, kind of market that's emerging that people are talking about? Do you do you see this as being something that can be applied to a number of different sectors and 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 styles of work? Well, I see different trends happening in the space. I was talking to someone from Body Shop recently, and for their entry level roles, they were going straight to open hiring. And I was like, hey, how's it going? And there's like, amazing. The results are there and speak for themselves. So a company like that, you think, hey, this is probably not a good fit for your entry level there because you don't want additional structure if you've stripped it all out and it's impacting DEI right from the get-go as well. It's amazing. So you're probably right in your assumption there. But the way it's worked for me has been it's normally people would introduce us for high volume because of the time-saving and efficiencies that they get from that. They'd see all the impact it has on fairness, consistency of process as well. And then they can start rolling it out in different areas. And like that was the biggest shock that I had from my background. And David, a lot of the time, it was high volume campaigns that I worked on. That's how the product has kind of been designed as well. But people use it straight up to like C-suite now as well, because they never kind of want to go back to the old way of interviewing once they get used to it as well. I mean, I, I would assume that actually it's fairly senior management that are possibly the most resistant because they feel that maybe they know best because they're running the company and they've been successful well the interviews are just going to be one data point aren't they as well like you're not just doing a one-hour interview with someone and giving them the ceo rule a lot of the time are you it there needs to be probably a few other factors that come into it and before that stage to even system getting down to any kind of final stage and like hey that's where the the piece i was talking about earlier on values is, is huge and that's the trap sometimes people fall into is just like once they get more and more senior it's like oh is it just culture fit that they're looking for i talk about values fit as well but beyond that like what can this person actually bring to organization so even if they don't map over perfectly are they best person for the role and like one of my favorite quotes i had from one of our angel investors she turned around to me and said michael one of the best marketing directors i ever hired i didn't like them i was just like okay how did that play out and they did it as a panel interview and everyone was just like she's the most qualified best of the role and even though she thought she might not get on with them she came in and I performed what she thought was ever possible as well. So it's that mindset shift of you don't have to get on with absolutely everyone you work with for them to be the best person for the role as well. So where do you um, where do you see this going? Founded in 2018, you know, that's not too long before the pandemic. Yeah. Um, we've then had a couple of years where I'd assume actually a platform like this came into its own where that distance was put in place and remote hiring Remote onboarding was very much the only way that we could grow organizations. Now we're into this hybrid world. How, how are you adapting and how do you see the product kind of evolving over the next year or year, year and a half? 
back in 2018, I couldn't convince anyone to use a digital interview approach. Like nobody um, was ready for it, didn't want to capture their interview data. But they were fine with the status quo as well. Fast forward to whenever the pandemic started to hit 2020, we went pretty big in Irish healthcare. So started off with things like nursing campaigns, vaccinator campaigns. And like I said, not used right across the board there as well. So it's a really nice niche that we have within healthcare there. But what we're starting to see is other people come on board in terms of decentralized hiring. So, hey, if you're hiring remotely from your HQ, but then you have physical hospitals, stores or things like that, it's the perfect way for the talent team to actually keep a bit of control with the consistency and quality of process and, and hire whether it is remote or whether it is face-to-face. So we always encourage hybrid at the minute. At some point, I think majority are going to go remote. Not everyone's ready for it just yet. I think there's still people, if they're working in person, will want to ha- come in have a look uh, and, and see what it's like there as well. The, the point we want to get to, um, David, is starting to track um, all the kind of demographic information round around within interviews and make sure that we're able to sort of nudge interviewers and making sure that those decisions they're making are as accurate as possible um, as well. So like next year, I'm super excited for the product roadmap that we're working for. And it's always this balance of, hey, how can we save people a good bit of time without stripping so much out that it becomes an unfair process? Like I know some people try and promote, oh, here's a highlight of the interview score based on that. If you take it completely out of context, it's pointless. It's like, why would you do an interview then? Someone might have the best two highlights and then the rest of the interview could have been not very good at all. And if you presented that to someone, you know, you're going to make an ill-informed decision as well. So, like, that's still going to be the core of the platform and how we do it. And, yeah, there's there's so many different things. In the long run, the point I want to get to is a completely transparent hiring model. If you share all interview questions in advance so the candidates know what to expect, are super open, two-way conversation with them, really engaging conversation because you're not sat there writing everything down at the same time, and then sharing a feedback report, sharing a transcription with them, like as a candidate, that's an incredible experience. You've got more than you've ever got and you can use it whenever you're going to apply for other roles. And then long, long term, if you can start referring candidates from there into other applicable roles, that's the dream. And that's where we get to, in, well, maybe not 2023, maybe the next five years. <laughs> but you've, you've talked a little bit about your, your ideal interview situation. I'm sure that you'd love everyone listening who's got hiring problems, which let's face it, it's just about everybody in the world uh, to sign up and to use the platform, but perhaps it can't scale that, that fast and it might provide a headache. So let's let's kind of assume that uh, we're going to be talking to a bunch of people who are growing their organisations. They might have a lack of structure in their process. They're looking to make small changes that can make a big difference to their business. What advice would you have for them? So they've got to go right back to the start as well. So like, what's the job advert? What's the job spec you put in place there? And rather than copying and pasting something off a competitor's website, which you see happens like so much all the time, sit and focus. And like, because of that job, the job flow where people are moving more, more between it, don't just focus on here's the technical and professional skills, five plus years experience in this that I think I need. Focus right back down to like, hey, what are the core behaviors, values that we need for this person to be successful within that role within the business as well? And if you get that right at the start of the top of the funnel as well, creating an interview framework and questions to, to cover that is so much easier and um, that it's unreal. Like whenever we were doing our DEI and NI report, the best amount of time I heard for a job spec was a 35-year-old one as well, but they didn't <laughs> repost it or use it. I think the, the role was like made redundant after the person left as well. But that's what people are going to have to get used to is not just constantly saying, hey, need a, a master's in this, need professional knowledge and ask them questions based on that. It's drill it down, like what are the core behaviors that make you succeed within this organization? 
here's our values. Do your values overlap to some degree? Can you add to it as well? And building interview frameworks that are actually going to help them succeed in that. And if, if they do all those pieces right, great. The last thing they need to worry about where they come to you, where it's probably even more challenging is, hey, how do I build my employer brand to attract the right right people to come in as well? Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you. It's a fascinating area. Look, uh, as everyone who listens to this show for a long time knows, my background is in recruiting. So anything that helps improve that process, that imperfect process is is a welcome addition. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Looking forward. Akish, you're a professional interviewer. I I didn't know I was until that uh, interview. (laughs) Now... uh, I will be calling myself a professional interviewer. Yeah, I, I think it's a, I think it's fair though. Like, it is it is kind of what we do. And Michael's built a solution around it. And the comments he makes makes towards the beginning about data on paper really kind of resonated because the amount of times, like I've very unstructured scribbled down notes when I've been interviewing someone, hmm. and it's completely useless to anyone, probably including me. Mm. There's so much wastage in in the process for so many organisations that actually something like an Equitas makes perfect sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I think in terms of you know just the information that's lost or the information that is not uh, processed, you know, from the interview to the interviewer, then you know using that information and then using it to make educated or hiring based decisions you you almost tend to think like you know uh, or or you would think how many people have actually been lost throughout this whole process um but the fact that there's a solution and they're they're giving something which is operating against i think you mentioned about 170 odd biases Mm. um which are uh, sort of uh, you know that are around i think i think you know having a solution like that is, is really good and weirdly enough i was interviewing someone a few weeks ago and kind of got got caught up in 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 a conversation um and you know me pretty well and you know i love a conversation but um yeah exactly um but got caught (laughs) up in a conversation and completely sort of you know slipped on asking any of the questions that i wanted to kind of ask right and i got out of the interview and i thought well i mean i could have a social conversation with this person but are they going to be any good at the job, you know, um, and, and, and the stuff that we were kind of speaking about and, and what the day-to-day reason was for them coming in. So I think with something like Equitas, it, it does keep you honest. It will help with the data gathering, but also making those informed decisions, which not just keep away from biases and stuff, but also with, with human interaction, I guess, um, they help with that side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I think the comments he makes as well with, where regards to, to biases involved, where you kind of look mm. for traits of yourself, that mistake that so many people make. I'm in the job. I'm reasonably good at this job. That's why I'm hiring. Mm. Therefore, let's look for traits and similarities to, to what I do. It's it's really not helpful. Um, mm. It doesn't lead to a, a strong organization, but it's something that we all fall into the trap of and i certainly did many times over earlier in my career 100 mm, percent. i think it's it's because it's easier right and and easier for them to you know the other person to to relate to it's easier for you to relate to them um <clears throat> but also i think it's a 
you, you almost want to challenge yourself um, as, as little as possible when you do make a hire, which is quite similar because you can use similar language, similar, you know, examples, um, <clears throat> similar timings with things. So, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it sounds a little bit like, you know, uh, these biases are still there. I mean, they absolutely are. I've fallen um, ill of that as well. Um but I think, and, and we know, one well, not scientifically, but the data tells us that, you know, the more diverse an organisation is, the better it does. So I think that's that's something to still keep at the forefront of our minds when we're, you know, kind of conducting interviews or bringing people on or whatnot. Now, it's a perfect time to be talking to Michael because Equitas are coming out of stealth mode. They also um have had a bit of success with chad and cheese chad and cheese the uh most dangerous hr podcast uh they're, they're going to be someone that we're stood next to at unleash in vegas in a couple of days time so a bit of a shout out to them and nice to see that the community is live and well with uh lots of people who know each other but we'll, we'll put some links to equitas in the show notes and go and have a look now the other as aspect of today's show that we wanted to share is with Meander and it relates to Equitas because Michael describes he had a slightly non-linear career, kind of started off working in Aldi and then kind of has migrated in this into this talent route. Akish, do you think it's slightly mad that we kind of expect 17-year-olds and 16-year-olds to have an idea of what they want their future working life to be? Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Like. I, Yes, in a way that, you know, there's so much left of life, right? Or there's so much left of experiences and you may not know that age, but, you know, on, on the other side, it's almost like, well, you want them to have a, or you would like to have some sort of a direction um, and work yourself kind of towards that. But, I mean, having said that, I'm just thinking right now what I wanted to do at 16, 17 and sat at the age of 31, I'm doing nothing <laughs> i'm doing nothing remotely close to that so yeah i guess uh i guess no then <laughs> yeah look it's this concept now that we all have kind of non-linear careers they don't follow straight lines um <clears throat> the the example that we're going to get in this next interview is someone who starts as a, as a journalist then goes into ai and now is an entrepreneur if i think about my own career um now some people call me a journalist i started as a recruiter having spent a year in, a, in an elected position in a student's union thinking that I wanted to work in charities. Like the idea that someone can map out their career in their mid-teens is slightly bonkers to me, but mm. it's a brilliant case in point of the fact that continuous learning is, is absolutely crucial to your success if you're going to kind of carve out a career in, in the modern world of work. Yeah, 100%. And I think... Um... It, it, it's just about knowing or, or having that in the back of your mind, right? And there's so many aid organizations, podcasts, tools, um, groups that you can get involved in, communities that you can be part of, yeah. which will help you align and, and do that better. Are we suggesting that if you listen to Tech Talks, you're going to get a better job? Uh, I mean... Maybe <laughs> you you could you could say you know you could act really smart in an interview and say I was actually listening to a podcast uh, recently, <laughs> and uh, you know they had a, a guest on for example who was just talking about interviewing and you know stuff around that and then you can make yourself sound really really um, 
yeah there you go there you go folks interview 101 with professional interviewer akish yeah there we go yeah equitas (laughs) sign me up thanks for your time today uh we will be back on thursday do stay tuned here's the interview with meander today i'm joined by anna baldakova ceo and co-founder of meander uh people might have heard of you as vector ai but recently rebranded to meander how are you today all good, all good. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having. Me. So, thanks for having me. No worries. Uh, where are you about? Whereabouts are you joining us from? Uh, I'm currently based in London. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where I've been for the past six years. Mm-hmm. Uh, but have been kind of a nomad. Lived in Berlin, in Dublin, <laughs> uh, but happily based in London now. Your career uh, is an interesting place to start. Uh, because it, it kind of informs what Meander is all about, right? Uh, you are, as we said, CEO of a growing um, business, a tech business. You started life as a journalist. Tell us yeah. a little bit more about, about your journey and how that actually helps relate to, to what you're trying to do. I think it's actually um, a perfect illustration of what we are trying to do at Meander. Because I started uh, my career as a journalist And to be honest, I didn't know if I wanted to be a journalist. That was just something I heard about and that was, that sounded interesting, uh, something that I could do. But obviously, when you are 17, you don't know what you want to do for the rest of your life. So uh, I became a journalist. I worked as a journalist for a couple of years, but then I realized that uh, there were some other opportunities that I wanted to pursue. Uh, and I became a product manager. So I started learning about statistics, about computer science, about um, uh, A-B testing and product management overall. Uh, so I became a product manager in tech uh, and uh, worked for almost eight years. Uh, my last uh, place of work was Facebook, uh, where I led um, uh, our AI team and working on the future of work uh, and then became an entrepreneur. And I think this kind of showcases that uh, people's careers, uh, and I'm an example of it, are non-linear anymore. Mm-hmm. So when you start your career, when you're 17, you are just tipping your toe in the water, you are just trying to understand what's kind of interesting. But then as you grow, as your interests evolve and your self-awareness grows, you realize that another career might be more appropriate. And then you start the transition. Obviously, look, careers of of evolved greatly in even the last decade um has that filtered through to education are we still trying to set people up for this idea that they need to choose a career when they're in the the middle of their teens which seems ludicrous like if i think about myself it it took me probably to my to my late 20s early 30s until i really worked out what my skills were that's exactly right i feel like education is requiring a lot of changes because um we are still using the system that was created uh, to to help people get ready for the industrial age, like when they uh, required a very specific skill set uh, to work at factories and you know to do a very specific job. But right now, especially with developments in AI and a lot of routine tasks being automated and kind of taken care of, uh, people need to develop a more flexible skill set, and essentially they need to identify their unique niche uh, that they could take uh, and uh, that will require not just developing the skills but also understanding how you can apply them to solve specific problems. 
So I, I really like this idea of um, quests that you go on uh, with, with your careers. So essentially trying to accomplish something good in the world. And uh, uh, more and more people, especially from younger generations, they are starting to think how they could accomplish something, something good uh, with their skill set and with their interests. And obviously, this is not static, like this cannot uh, be defined at one point for the rest of your life, because technologies are evolving, problems around us are evolving, and that's why it requires uh, developing new skills uh, over and over again. And I think that with regards to education, we need to place more focus on uh, on-the-job learning, on very practical learnings that you develop uh, during the course of your life rather than in the first 10 years when you don't really understand what you want to do and then just uh, doing the same thing all over again. I mean, I, I don't know, when I think about it, it's like, you know, we talk about the career ladder not not feeling like a, a good description. You don't, you don't just climb up one organisation in some kind of linear fashion, as you said. It almost feels to me like it's a bit of a rock face, like you're climbing and e at each point you're reassessing which is the best route to get you to the top, right? I think our definition of the top uh, is changing very much. Uh, I'm judging by uh, talking to like Gen Z, to people in their 20s, because right now they are not really interested to become directors or to become VPs of something. They are more interested to do something fulfilling, to, you know, to find their purpose in life and mm -hmm. uh, to use their careers as a tool uh, to help them get there. So I think this uh, kind of this, um, I think this idea of getting to the top uh, is not resonating so much with younger generations because they are looking for uh, not even for a work-life balance, but for lives which uh, where their work would be a part of their life. Sure. But to be not cynical, but slightly just prod this gently, we have to be honest with people that there is a degree of flexibility and autonomy that comes with a degree of maybe not it's maybe seniority is the wrong word but you know a degree of success that in your career it might not be a director position so to speak but you you do need to climb in a way in in perhaps the the, the view that other people hold of you to give you that that fluidity yeah, I think that's an interesting discussion between uh, specialization and generalization because you can grow as a as a specialist, like and never become a people manager, mm -hmm. uh, but uh, still increase your earnings. So essentially, if you're specialized uh, in certain areas that are quite unique and that that are quite niche, you can still earn uh, quite a substantial amount of money. And another pass is to grow as a, as a people manager. So essentially grow uh, through this kind of transitional uh, career pass of going to um, uh, like a middle manager first, then to a director and then to a VP. And essentially uh, what I've been observing, um, especially after working at Facebook, is that uh, right now we are observing the rise of specialists, like people who do not have to be um, people, people managers, but need to have this unique cross-disciplinary skill set uh, to help them solve some unique problems. So how is career tech and a platform like yours helping people? I think, and I strongly believe that um, 
with development of new technologies, uh, we will see more and more new professions appearing in the space. So essentially in five, 10 years, we'll have uh, a variety of new professions uh, that will be on the rise. And I actually think that this will be accelerating over time uh, because technologies are developing so fast, <laughs> we'll need to be upskilling all the time to stay relevant. And at Meander, we actually believe that education should be ongoing, should be on the job, and also should be highly personalized. Because right now, people are uh, people have such diverse backgrounds uh, that a kind of a defined path of education is not helping them anymore. So, for example, if I'm um, a software engineer turned CTO at a fintech startup, I actually better learn from a CTO at a fintech startup who've been in my shoes than from like a general software engineering professional. So that's how we want to empower people to adapt to this uh, fast pace of, uh, uh, of the world changing around us. Uh, essentially helping them to find a mentor, uh, a person who could share their knowledge and who would have uh, this, um, the same experience as they had a couple of years ago. And how can tech, I, I suppose, help inform people where they could be going? Because, it, I mean, it's really easy when you've got a career ladder to go, the next step requires X. But when it, it is a, poten a potential, maybe not a 90 degree turn, but, a, you know, a 45, 40 degree turn, it's not so obvious what skills you need. And it's very hard when you've not made that jump to know what skills you're looking for. How can we help people better navigate that? To be honest, I feel like this problem already exists because, um, for example, I'm a CEO. I had to hire a lot of people for my startup uh, and I've been looking for a designer and for a community manager and for engineers. And the definition of those professions is really fluid. So essentially, it's really hard to say uh, that when you're looking at the resume of one designer and another designer, that they would have the same skill set. That's actually not true. They, they would have very different experience depending on the industry they worked with, uh, in, uh, depending on the problems that they had to solve. And I think in the future, um, what will be happening is that uh, people will just need to um, kind of look beyond just the actual definitions of those professions and start looking at the skill sets. So the skills that they need to have rather than at the actual definition of the profession. And um, it's actually quite similar to, um, to psychotherapy in a way, because um, psychotherapy helps you better understand how you should progress through your life. And it's very individual. And I actually think that the same will be happening with careers because they are such a big part of our lives. It's really hard to, to tell you or another person that this is the way that they have to go for. Uh, and I think that uh, that's where uh, mentorship and career coaching as well uh, would be helping people to better understand uh, what they want to achieve, what kind of things they're good at and how they could get there uh, in the best way possible. So look, a last question. If someone does think that Meander could help them, what's the best way to, uh, to access your services? Go to meander.so, um, just sign up, it's very easy, uh, and we'll connect you to the best mentor possible. Well, look, thank you very much for your time. Uh, it's obviously an area that I think a lot of people are interested and invested in, so good luck. Thank you so much.